This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with Ian Payne. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Matt, for that uh, marathon. I'm just doing a quick two-hour sprint, uh, sitting in for for Steve Allen. He's still resting. I've had a few people already getting in touch, asking me how he is. He's okay. Um, He's just just doing this show for a very, 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 very long time. It's tiring, so you need a break. So he's having a well-earned rest. Don't worry, he'll be back very, very soon. Um, So let's talk about homelessness, because as I speak, around, well, they think it's about 8,000 people, including Sir Bob Geldof, because he's taking part in this as well, are sleeping under the stars. Temperature's about minus four in Edinburgh. Uh, If you know Edinburgh or you've been to the festival or something, it's Prince's Park, which is basically by the railway station, um, and it's, it's... by Prince's Street, it's right in the middle of uh, of Edinburgh, a beautiful part of the city. It's all beautiful, to be honest. Um, and a lot of people are out there. And uh, I I don't know about you, but I can't, I, I just can't stand the cold at all. And the idea of having to spend more time than is absolutely necessary out in these conditions would just absolutely do me in. However, these people are, are doing this. They're all, they've all said they're going to raise a, a minimum of £100 each. They think, the organisers think that it's going to be about £4 million that they'll raise, maybe more. And they want to try and eradicate the problem in Scotland. They want to try and make sure that no one has to ever sleep out. I don't think that will ever happen. As I say, I did talk about this on the afternoon programme on LBC yesterday, and we focused on the reasons why people ended up in this situation. And they can be for a variety of reasons. They reckon 9,000 people in total live um, uh, under the stars um, every night in this country. So that's, that's so we're not talking about... Because when we, when, when, when we talk about the figures of 300,000, which is what uh, Shelter talks about, they're not talking about literally people who are sleeping in doorways they're talking about people who are in what they call inadequate housing so it'll be people in a bed and breakfast it'll be people who are living five people to a room it'll be those sort of people so i but i tend not to try and concentrate on those people that's that's all part of the system and how we sort that out i'm talking about the people who are literally on the streets and yesterday we got a lot of people who are and literally were on the streets getting in touch with us and people that were on the streets getting in touch with us i remember one lady saying she was going to spend another night in an abandoned car tonight because she hadn't got anywhere to go and she was being attacked by youths at late at night and it was just horrific and you're thinking, how is this happening now? I'd like you to give me a ring and tell me, if you want to talk about why you think homelessness is happening, that's fine. But I want to start the conversation. I want to narrow it down to talking about our response. So if you see a homeless person, um, and when I leave this radio station at at 7 o'clock this morning, I will see several of them. Um, When I get to the end of my tube journey um, in West London, I will see more of them. They're everywhere. They are, um, you can, I mean, there are various descriptions you could use to describe people who do this. Nobody does it by choice. You know, there are some people who think, well, they're just winos and drug addicts. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who are not so far removed from us and in some cases the same as us. They've just hit hard times. They might have mental problems. They might have an, an addiction problem. They might have a situation where they lost their job, they lost their family. They lost, and I was talking about this yesterday where I got nowhere near being homeless, but I had three or four things happen all in the same time with job, family, uh, dad died, uh, mental health problems, anxiety, depression. And I was thinking, 
I can see how this happens. So don't think these people are people with whom we have nothing in common. What is your response to seeing people who are on the street, who are sitting in a doorway somewhere, who are... What is your response to sort of try not to make any eye contact and walk past? I must admit, and, you know, it, sh it shames me to say it, but I'm finding that certainly here in Leicester Square that some of the um, the homeless people and some of the sort of beggars, if I can put it that, that, that way, are getting quite in your face now, you know, they really are. And I'm not sure how I'm supposed to respond to that. How would you respond to that? I had one guy, he literally followed me for, I went to get some breakfast after doing a show at finishing at seven o'clock, and he just followed me for about 400 yards up the street, constantly saying, mate, 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 sir, sir, sir. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to say to you, apart from the fact that I don't have any cash on me, and I can't, you know... Um, so I don't know. I don't know what my response should be. You know, I give I give money to people occasionally. Someone sometimes I give someone a sandwich, but I'll be honest, most of the time I don't. What is your response? What should our response be? They are highlighting this thing tonight, so let's make the most of it and have a chat about it, if only for a couple of hours. Now, there's some celebs there. Um, one of them is John Cleese. The uh, well, you'll know him. I just know him as Monty Python and Forty Towers. I don't know him as anything else, but you'd probably know him as um, I don't know One Man Show more modernly. Uh, raconteur, um, expert in alimony, <laughs> paying off his ex-American ex-wives. As one of the pythons said to him once, he said, John, I think it's wonderful that you keep meeting these women, but why do you always have to marry them? Anyway, that's John Cleese. Um, and John Cleese read a bedtime story. Uh, to read you a bedtime story, I'm going to say that. Please welcome... John Cleese! Now, I'm going to read you a beautiful bedtime story. So if you want to shout out, could you shout out now before the story starts? So that was John Cleese being introduced by the comedian Rob Bryden, Would I Lie to You, host. Um, so the man who's actually organised the sleep in the park is a gentleman by the name of Josh Littlejohn, and it's all part of raising the awareness. You remember there was the, there was also a campaign um, in uh, in Scotland which tried to raise the profile of this and raising money for homeless people. And I think George Clooney and Leo DiCaprio both visited a cafe that was part of this scheme as well. So they've got some really big names involved. John Cleese is not spending the night out, by the way, I should say that. Uh, but but Sir Bob Geldof is. Uh, Sir Josh Littlejohn is the organiser of the event Sleep in the Park. If there's anyone listening, by the way, who's doing this, I shouldn't imagine you're getting much sleep. So if you just want to pass some time, and anyone who's listening to LBC, give us a hoot and a holler, and give us a ring. 03456060973. And anyone who's ever suffered and, and actually spent a night out in temperatures of minus four, minus five, what is it like? What do you... You can't sleep in, in conditions like that. You can't. What is it like to do that? living out like that. So anyway, Josh Littlejohn is the organiser of the event Sleep in the Park and this is his take on the whole thing. So we're going to try and fund a really comprehensive support resource and hopefully try and work with the government to um, make that more structural mainstream but certainly we can, our funds that we've raised here can act as a catalyst and impetus to really try and restructure the way we deal with homelessness and move away from B&Bs and hostels and people in and out of rough sleeping and this, living in this isolated limbo uh, and try and give them a stable, safe place to call home 
um, and put a bit of support around that and I think that will uh, is the strategy we need to take to, to really um, you know start to make significant inroads into this issue. Josh Littlejohn, who's the organiser of the event Sleep in the Park, taking place right now, 8,000 people doing that to raise awareness and money for homeless people in uh, Prince's Street, Prince's Park in uh, Edinburgh. Uh, LBC is there as well, and we spoke to a couple of the people who were braving the freezing conditions. I think it's just really sad that there are so many homeless people sleeping rough in Scotland, and if there's something that we can do, then I would like to help. But we've not gone into our sleeping bags yet, we're kind of Delaying, delaying that, that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and hoping that once we get there we might actually be tired enough to maybe sleep for an hour or two. <laughs> you think? Yeah, cold feet, cold hands, but yeah. we're lucky we've only got to do it for I one know. night. Yeah. And we're doing it through choice. I, I don't think you'd be able to sleep through that. Tell us what it's like. I'd love to hear. I would, wouldn't it be great if we could actually get someone on the phone who's there? I get you. Will, you won't be sleeping. I'm sorry. You just won't be. So, so spare us a bit of your sleepless night and tell us what it's like. And actually, let's talk about the serious side to this as well. So, let's, without further ado, thank you to everyone who's already ringing in. Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three is the number to ring. Text eight four eight five zero or tweet at. LBC. What should our response... Well, you can talk about the whole subject if you want. If you've been on the street, the, the numbing cold, how do you deal with the numbing cold? Um, what is people's response to you as a homeless person and if you are asking for something? Um, the other thing I'd like to know is, what is it with dogs? Virtually every homeless person I see has a dog. I think, I think it's beautiful and lovely and it kind of... It, 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 there's a warmth about it. and the dogs are just so kind of gentle, aren't they? It's lovely. Get in touch with us and tell us. You will get first priority first-time callers, as I always do on any programme I do, but if you are somebody who's actually involved in this sleep in the park tonight, I would just, or this morning, I would love to hear what it's like because I think the idea is great, it's a very noble cause, but the practicality of sleeping out in conditions of minus four... I think reality has just bitten, hasn't it? Let's go to Jason. He's in Milton Keynes. Good morning to you, Jason. Hello, Jason. Hi, Ian. Yep. Um, morning. Morning. Yeah, um, obviously, funny enough about the homeless situation, not just in London, but around the country. Um, now, here in Milton Keynes, it is also very bad. Um, we have a lot of homeless people. They seem to congregate outside the main train station and um, if you know Milton Keynes Ian, we've got all the um, like the grid system obviously and so they can also sleep underneath the uh, you know like through the underneath the bridges yeah um, yeah well myself I mean I'd actually go out and I actually do um, give out blankets and um, sleeping bags to the homeless because I'm this, this really um, you know it, it, it plays a big part in my life because I, I, I would hate to be homeless I mean I've I've almost in the past been there, like through redundancy, and it, it's so so scary to think that you could lose your home and, and end up on the street. I mean, you know, you should never take anything for granted. Mm. I was just saying to, to your colleague um, two weeks ago, me and many other really good good-hearted people, we did a big sleep out um, at Southwark Cathedral. So what the guys are doing tonight in Edinburgh, that's fantastic. We did a sleep out for a charity called Roads R O D E S. Uh, in the in the grounds of Southwark Cathedral, and uh, Ian, it was amazing. And so many lovely people. I mean, you know, just to experience what homeless people would be going through. The noise of London, obviously. I mean, I work in London anyway, but the noise of it, um, the traffic right near London Bridge, the police sirens going off. You, you know, they have to put up with that every night. We just did it for one night, 
And it was so, I mean, it was good because a lot of money was raised. And we even had um, Sandy Totchik arrive and Bill Bailey. They both turned up. To <laughs> what, when, 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 what part of the year was this? How cold was it? Right, Ian, this was only two weeks ago. So it was um, a couple of Fridays back. Uh, it was cold, but I'll be honest with it, it was nothing like it is right now. I mean, the temperatures have obviously dropped. And right now, as I'm talking to you, it's absolutely hammering down with snow here in Norton Keynes. Is it? Um, yeah, it is, yeah. It's quite bad, actually. So it's going to be a nightmare in the morning. But, um, and that's the first thing that's come to my mind. I'm, I'm looking out the window and I think, of course, the homeless people, they're going to be absolutely freezing yeah. out there. And, and, and Ian, I mean, the thing is, we've got so many unoccupied buildings around the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you obviously see it. Why can't they... Why can't we just get the people off the street? Oh, you know? I know. It's, it's one of those things that you see, right, look, there's obvious solutions to this all over the place, but n- nothing's ever simple, um, particularly in this country where everyone owns everything, and it's never that simple. Te- uh, what I'm interested in, Jason, is talking to people who've experienced this, and you obviously have from both sides of the coin. Well, how, what is our response? What is the public's response? Should we just give more money to charity? Should we be writing to our MP? Should we be just... When we see a homeless person, do we just give them food or a drink or do we walk on by? What is, what is our response, do you think? Well, I personally, and I don't, I don't stick my nose up to homeless people, I actually stop and I'll actually talk to them and I'll even, I'll even buy them a drink. Uh, money, uh, Ian, I don't really give money to people. I mean, if I... Why not? If I see homeless... Right, OK. If I see homeless people and they're sitting there and, they, and, they, and they're drinking cans and the whole situation, that's going to, you know, it's just going to make their, their situation. And I've, I've heard you at the beginning of the programme talking about addiction. I mean, yeah, a lot of people probably have got addiction problems, and uh, which is very sad, obviously. Um, but I, I, I haven't got no problem, as I say, buying, buying a hot drink, talking to them. I mean, I, I do all that. Even the guys who sell the big issue. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely guy outside Essex Road in... Um, Islington. Yeah, know it well. Outside his shop. Yeah, you know it well, yeah. And he was standing outside one of the shops there, and I had some delivery to this shop, no, no longer. Um, but anyway, and I became really good friends with him, and we, we'd have a really good conversation, talk about football, etc. It was lovely. But I do still, I do still think in there is um, a lot of people, what, you know, do, do stick their nose out. I mean, I, I see it, because when I'm, I, I do deliveries in London early hours of the morning, and, um, like yourself, I mean, yeah, it is bad around Leicester Square and, well, all, all over the place. Really, it's everywhere now. It is, mate, yeah. yeah. And um, I do see some people, I've, I've heard comments as well, in, which isn't very pleasant, from, from people just walking in the street, I look at them, you know, they should get a job, or if they're, if they're sitting outside the tube station, you know, um, it's the same, like, negative comments. And it, with me, I mean, I, I, you know, we should never judge people. We, we, we just don't know what's going on in their lives to make them to the street. Okay. So basically you're um, saying yeah. our response should be, you know, have some kind of interaction. You don't have to give money, but just have some kind of, mm-hmm. you know, make contact. Absolutely. Yeah. You were saying about the, and you were saying about them having their dogs, which is like, yeah. that, that's, that's a companion, isn't mm. it? It's someone who's not going to judge you. Listen, Jason, sorry, mate. I've got to just move on because I've got some people to talk to and I've got to do various bits and bobs at various times. So thank you very much indeed, Jason. But there you are, you see. So as I say, I'd really like to hear from anyone who's doing this sleep in the park. Let's see if we can get someone on before uh, six o'clock. The time now is 5.18. Good morning. What in pain on LBC. 
So, um, not everyone is in favour of this, what do we call it, experiment, this uh, fundraising, this raising awareness of homelessness in Edinburgh right now. 8,000 people sleeping out uh, to try and raise awareness, to try and wipe out homelessness in Scotland. 9,000 people in the UK sleep outside. Can you imagine sleeping outside today? You've probably got snow falling outside your house at this very moment. We haven't got snow here in London, but it is cold enough. And probably some, someone once told me it's sometimes too cold for snow. So it might be feeling like that. It's absolutely perishing outside. But there's lots of people getting in touch with us who, don't, who think this is a waste of time. Andy, for example, who says, I've been homeless. This event is meaningless. They do it in Salisbury every year with camp beds and sleeping bags and soup. It doesn't make any difference at all. What will make a difference? I think, personally, there's a couple of things. There's certainly what came out of yesterday's fascinating discussion on this from people who'd been there and done it, was that it really depends on, and the charities will say this as well, homeless, uh, the shelter will say it, crisis will say it as well. The, the main thing is two things. One, needs government help. You need to um, have a look at the welfare system with specific reference to people who need help with their rents, with their pet with with people who are f- staring down the barrel basically so that needs tinkering with because it's all now universal credit rather than ho- rather than um housing support so that might have to be looked at again uh, making it easier to get hold of that sort of money and also there needs to be a massive building program social housing is a disgrace people cannot afford these places as i said yesterday on the program here in london we have our local newspaper which is called the london evening standard you probably heard of it it has a property section it feels like every day but i'm sure it's not it's it's 40 pages long or 30 pages long and there's not one affordable house in there it's absolutely ridiculous they're all way 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 you know four hundred and fifty thousand pounds for a one-bedroom flat and that's not necessarily in a particularly desirable area i mean it's just ridiculous how people pay their rents i have no idea anyway let's go to uh renee who is in brighton you were homeless at 20 in glasgow blimey how long for <laughs> Hello, my darling. Hello. Yes, um, I'm fifty. I'm fifty years of age now. Right. When I was twenty years of age, which I was little skinny, skinny as a wren's leg. Yeah. Person. Yeah. I was homeless in Glasgow. Ugh. And I've seriously been homeless. It's a nightmare. I bet it is. No, no. You know, we all say things like, "Oh, there's these homeless people. There's these homeless people." When you're actually homeless at the age of twenty. And you're a little girl as skinny as a wren's leg. Mm. Absolutely. So what? What should what should our response as non-homeless people be to someone we see sitting in a doorway uh, asking for our something? Response is, our response as non-homeless people, yeah. and I wouldn't say nominal homeless people. Our response as a government should be looking after people and not not. I mean, I was homeless because of a disability. Mm-hmm. Our response as a government to be look after our disabled yeah. people and, and be a and be a government that would look after people with disabilities. Okay, so the government, um, the government, know, I think you're right, and um, but I, I I'm quite interested to steer the conversation for this hour because I'm sure we'll talk about okay, homelessness okay. a lot about our non-homeless people's response. Having done it and been there yourself, what do you think should be yeah. our primary response to people? A primary response, maybe, is non-homeless people, which actually, if you think about it, the majority of people are non-homeless. 
the homeless people are in the minority. But if we, as a non-homeless person, let, wait, let me call us that, if we see someone mm. asking for money or, or for food in, in a door, what, do you, what should our... Give them give money. Them money. Yeah. I never begged. I never begged. I never asked for money. I, I remember being... I remember being... I remember not eating for four days. Ugh. Oh, my God, I was so hungry. Somebody, somebody gave me cheese on toast... So and is it better I, to because you I'd often be hear you often hear this argument about oh if you give someone money they'll only go and spend it on drink and drugs, that well, is why not true. Why should they not? Yeah, well. Why should they not? Yeah, exactly. Why should you know? I think why should they not? How did you get out of it, so. by the way? Ah, uh, I got myself a job. Well done. I got myself a job. I went to Glasgow with one carrier bag on a coach. I come back from Glasgow to London on a plane with three hundred pounds in my pocket. Good girl. But, you know, that's just me. That's just me. I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a rogue. I'm a uh, bit of a go-getter. Are you okay now? Oh, I'm doing my master's degree now at the age of fifty. Brilliant. In what? <laughs> In ecology. Good girl. Lovely to speak to yeah. you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's very lovely to speak to you, sweetheart. See you. Happy well. Christmas. And that's Renee. To, she was homeless at twenty in can Glasgow. I can I say somebody else? Oh, yeah, sorry, there go on. Always a, there is always a way out. Good. There is always a way out. Good. Thank you, my friend, things and are, have a lovely radio Things are never as bad as they sometimes appear. Thank you very much indeed, Rennie. So that's Rennie. Uh, I'm Ian Payne. We're talking about homelessness. We're talking about it because of what's going on in Edinburgh tonight. If you haven't heard it, there's a charity was raising awareness. 8,000 people are sleeping out tonight to raise money, etc., etc., to try and wipe out homelessness in Scotland. But obviously it's, it's, a, it's a nationwide thing in the UK. 9,000 people at shelter reckon... Uh, no, well, crisis, actually, we reckon that... Uh, 9,000 people are homeless, physically homeless. They literally don't have a roof over their heads every night here in the uh, UK. Let's speak to Paul, who's in Crawley. Paul, you've worked with people who've been made homeless. What should our response be? Yeah, well, the, the um, organisation I work with, and I still come into contact with people like this, wasn't primarily there to help homeless, but lots of the people in the category ended up homeless for one reason or another. And our response is pretty cold, pretty lukewarm, because there aren't a lot of people who care, um, and particularly, as someone said already, you know, in government, because there seems to be something in our system that relies on some people being at the bottom in order that others can be right up very much higher than the top, mm. and that, that's a tragedy. But I, I was really interested, Ian, in what you were saying about, you know, the different reasons that people end up mm-hmm. homeless, and one thing that I've observed a lot are stories of young of young people and and people when they were young when for some reason a parent ostracized them uh picked them out from a, a number of children in the home or for other reasons of the parents mental health or alcohol problems the child was constantly pushed out the house sometimes sleeping in the woods sometimes sleeping in cars sleeping in the woods yeah good god yeah sleeping in cars um all sorts of situations which we as a, um, a so-called respectable society... Some people shouldn't be allowed children, should they? <laughs> no. You know, it is you stuff like this. You think, a, how yeah. can that possibly go through your mind? How can you even consider doing that to a child? Anyway, sorry, go on. Well, well yeah, that, and I, 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 in a way, judgment is a terrible thing because uh, when we judge people... We then also judge the parents, but funny enough, although it's the last thing we would ever think of doing, 
they too have their story. That the parents are often yeah. No, I'm sure you know abusers have been abused, as we say. But but even yeah. so, so t- tell us about our response as non-homeless people when we see someone in a doorway with a dog or whatever. What should we do? Well, I I always used to give, uh, and uh, this this is such a difficult one because you know the the big issue magazine, the guy that started that, yeah, said that. The, you know, there's different categories of homeless. That's the problem. Right. Sometimes the people you see out on the street with the dog aren't necessarily truly homeless. And it can oh. become a very good way of living. It no, can, come on. I hear these dogs. stories in The Sun and the Daily Mail, but I don't believe it. This beggar made £50,000 in a week. I mean, well, no. I don't know about the 50000 No, I'm joking. But, but come on, you can't live off begging, can you? Well, uh, you know, the thing is that our strongest instinct instinct in life is survival yeah and so there are some people who do move into a situation in the street where they look homeless uh, and others who have somewhere to go so who is truly homeless you know once you look at alcohol and people who are are you actually saying paul you've worked with people who've been made homeless. are you actually saying there are people out there who basically beg as a job you know it's it's kind of really difficult it's a decision of a lifestyle wow sometimes the community that they're amongst they can be very supportive, very loving, very strong for one another. They know they li- where their patch is. Um, but if you said to them, look, I've got a flat that you could go into, you wouldn't have to do this. There might be something that's dangerous about being in a home, that's being in a place that they remember as always being associated with pain. Mm. So it can be a kind of a, a degree or two. You see, what, what has always amazed me about, you know, when we were talking about this, we were talking about the London initiative that came in. I don't know if it's still going. It's called something like Two Nights, and it basically means you never have to spend more than two nights, more than one night, um, homeless and out, uh, uh, under the skies. I don't know what's happened to that. And also, what, it just seems to me, surely there must be some provision in the welfare system to have a place, literally a place, where there's, we're talking about 9,000 people who are living outside, where they can go and spend a night. It just, it's not that many people, is it? No, maybe, maybe why they don't do it. The, um, the worry is it's fantastic that so many people do so much. And isn't it lovely to see, you know, with so much criticism of values in the world today, that so many people come together yeah. for this this thing tonight well i i think i think you're right i'm sorry i've got to get to the to the news paul but that's that's very interesting thank you very much for uh, listening thank you very much for calling in um that's interesting do people think there are people out there who do this by choice i'm not so sure this is uh, ian payne with you till seven o'clock the time is now half past five and thomas watts has the headlines this is lbc with ian payne So, let us find out what conditions are like in Prince's Park in Edinburgh for Sleep in the Park. 8,000 people raising money and awareness for homelessness in Scotland. Our very own Derek Ferguson's on the line. Derek, I spoke to the producer who's just set up this call, and they told me, Derek sounds cold. That would be an accurate description, Ian. Um, Very, very cold. The... uh Temperatures here were supposed to dip uh, to minus six points through the early morning, and that feels about right. Uh, we're all just packing up just now. Um, everyone's very keen uh, to get home <laughs> and get a hot shower, um, but they're all very aware that the reason they're doing this is to raise money for homeless people who don't, don't have that option. They're dealing with these conditions day in and day out, uh, putting themselves at risk of violence, um, and just generally um, going without support. This is run by a charity called Social Bite, Sleep in the Park, 
Um, they provide support, they provide employment for homeless people to get them off the streets. Uh, the money raised here today will go towards that. 3.6 million has been raised so far. Uh, fundraising is going to continue until Christmas, and it's hoped that uh, all that cash will be able to help uh, people get their lives uh, back on track. Paint a picture of what the scene is and was. Are people literally just lying in sleeping bags? Lying in sleeping bags. And we've all been given this uh, sort of uh, survival bag, it's been called. It's, a, it's essentially a big plas- orange plastic bag uh, which we put ourselves in and just lie on the floor. Mm. Although, in the, I should say in Prince Street Gardens, it's at a slope, so... We were kind of uh, sliding down uh, through the night as it got frostier. <laughs> People have actually taken uh, the opportunity to use it as a slope now as we're packing up. So uh, some people are having a wee bit of fun. Um, mm. Others are uh, quickly packing up and getting themselves home as, uh, as quick as they can. And as, were there medical um, people around just in case? Did, did, was anyone in distress? Because it must have been really bitter. still is. It was really, really bitter. Um, at points during the night, I reached out and fell uh, frost on my uh, sleeping bag, which is really not what you go for. Um, there were uh, medical personnel patrolling. Uh, I didn't see any problems. Everyone's... Uh, very much got together and supported each other through this. There's a really good uh, camaraderie and atmosphere on site here. Um, There's been in the region of 8,000 people through the night. They were uh, there to see um, Liam Gallagher uh, perform a set last night. Even got a bedtime story by John Cleese. Yeah, what was was the story uh, about? I wanted, and how long was it? That was a bit not safe for work, so I I wouldn't be able Ah. to repeat half of what was said uh, by uh, the legendary John Cleese, as you can imagine, in his own style. Uh, But it kept the crowds entertained. It kept them their minds off the cold, um, just as we were bedding down through the night. And as I say, people are very eagerly packing up now and and getting home to that uh, very needed hot shower. Fantastic. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed, Derek. Are you staying there for a bit, or are we allowing you home? I, I, I think we're all getting shepherded off the site as we speak, so I will be going uh, straight to a hot shower myself. Top man. Thank you. Well done and well brave. That's Derek Ferguson's LBC's intrepid reporter in Edinburgh. I literally, I'm not sure I would have done that, even even as a as a, as a reporter. I'm not sure. Oh, just the whole idea of it makes me shiver. Uh, I didn't sleep in the park, says Bill, but I do swim. Most days in the Serpentine, and I will do this morning. Oh. Afterwards, says Bill, I'll get into... If you're wondering what the Serpentine is, it's basically it's the, it's the lake in the middle of Hyde Park. Um, and you really don't want to be in water at this, this part of the year, ever, really. Uh, afterwards, I get into warm clothes, get in the car. It's made me appreciate people who are homeless, suffering the cold who can't warm up. I now support a homeless charity. And Mark in Aldershot, with um, one of the nicest and most heartwarming texts of uh, of the morning, really. Good morning, says Mark. Good morning. The other evening, on my way back to work, I got a homeless former soldier with one leg, a little bottle of whiskey, a McDonald's with a warm coffee, and I gave him an old sleeping bag that we use. Um, And uh, we talked about... Um, giving him some money and frankly I think that 
people who say that, I'm paraphrasing here, people who don't give them money because they think people will spend it on booze and drugs, people use that as an excuse to make ourselves feel better for being tight. You're absolutely right. And also, I think people do that to avoid any kind of contact because they feel embarrassed with the contact. If they want to spend the couple of pounds you give them on drink or drugs, so be it. Who are we, privileged people, to judge those who are about to deal with those weather conditions from Mark in Aldershot? Absolutely right, Mark. I couldn't agree more. Let's go to Sam, who's in Putney. Morning, Sam. Yeah, hiya. You've experienced this. Morning. You are on air. Yes, you are. Yeah. Oh, hi. Um, You know, basically, I'm Polish, man. Uh Uh-huh. And um, basically, I experienced for like a year or two uh, meeting people in Putney, homeless people, and that is um you know like very hard to see although you know loads of them just became my friends and um you know thank you lbc that you do that um you're raising that um point because basically it's what i can see is more and more and more um homeless people on the streets it is sleeping craft i actually faced kind of um, homelessness recently because of the housing prices and renting and all that stuff and uh, and I know these people and this is this is um, very sad but basically what I wanted to say what I wanted to say um, that you can ask me any questions how these people survive and this is incredible some of them can survive can survive like beautifully if there would be any war in the world, I would just join them because basically they know how to survive. This is this is incredible, man. How do people survive temperatures like this? How do you live outside when it's this cold? You know, um, the amount of help people can get basically is incredible. I am actually I'm actually very impressed. Um, um, uh, you know, people from from Salvation Army or or or, on a, or any other charities, they help them a lot, literally, a lot. Now they could sleep in churches, for example, every single night in different church in um, sort of southwest London, and um, so you can just wander get, into a church, or, or will there be someone there? No, basically, they've, they, it's all pretty nice organized. They can sleep in the churches, um, in different churches, actually, every day. That's, 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 that's the probably most inconvenient thing okay. for now, um, because they have to move from different church to yeah. different church and that's every fair day. enough. You don't want someone basically yeah, living exactly. there, do you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they got, they got food, um, they got, you know, nice and warm sleep, and... Um, and they can wash themselves, and can, they, can, they can wash clothes and everything. Salvation Army in Wimbledon, they lovely. they literally lovely. I've been there a few times, and just, just you know, the, the, I, I can't imagine, you know, like, you know, how you can become... So what a, you're saying is, with temperatures as they are right now, with snow falling all over the country, yeah. you're saying that a homeless person, if they need to, will always be able to find a roof somewhere. They can do it easily. Right. Okay. Basically, basically, obviously. I mean, I mean, easily. Yeah. I mean, you have to put some effort, effort to it. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, 
And also, you know, for example, you know, as I told you before, I was, uh, I faced kind of homelessness. And for example, being hungry in in London, yeah. being homeless, is almost impossible. Seriously? Yes. So how? T- tell me a typical day when you were homeless. Where would you get your food from? For example, um, you know, people. Um, People are lovely, basically. Loads of people provide food. They can just buy some McDonald's um, um, meals and and so on. But also um, from rubbish bins. You cannot imagine how much food in rubbish bins um, are fairly good. For example, put a manager in in, in Putney, yeah? They, They throw away so much food. And people take that food from these rubbish bins, they wrap it up, perfectly fresh, yeah. and, and it's loads of it. It's embarrassing, it's though, to be caught. It's, cold, it, yeah. it's a bit embarrassing to be seen rifling through a bin, though, isn't it? Um, Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm well, being yeah. stupid about this. Maybe well, I'm yes. being... Yes, but, yes. We, but had, a, we had a lady on yesterday who said that she got to the stage where she would literally hang around outside a restaurant and load of the, and the food... You can imagine how much food gets thrown away every night in a restaurant. And yeah. that the staff would be happy to allow that person to, to have some of that. Well, there are some, there are some charities. They're they picking up... Um, um, they're collecting food for, for homeless people um, as well, but um, loads of them are still landing in the in a rubbish bin, in, you know, in the rubbish bins. But anyway, um, you know, as I said, you, you know, you cannot be hungry. That's that's one thing. Okay, but obviously, it, but but sleeping, yeah, yeah, sleeping. It does. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. It's really. interesting. So that's encouraging. You don't have. You can always find a, a somewhere a roof over here, and you can actually. You you don't have to starve. Sam, thank you very much indeed. Let's go to uh, George now. now. Now, you you work with the homeless, but you don't think people should give them cash. That, that's correct, Ian. Um, yeah, I do quite a bit of work in the uh, in the local community in Letchworth uh, and places like Kitchen and Stevenage. Right. Um, I, I've organised for um, kind of soup fronts to be set up within the local area. So there'll be uh, a group of us, and we'll go around, uh, you know, finding the homeless. You may be just sitting with them for, for half an hour or so, you know, listening to them, talking to them, um, providing them with tea and coffee. Uh, what we've done this year is we've also been collecting um, warm clothes and bedding. Yeah. Just to uh, just to hand out sleeping bags. Uh, coming back to the money issue. Yeah. Why not? I, I know. I, I know a lot of people have phoned in and and spoken about saying you know about the drink and drugs, and I feel that would be my uh, my biggest issue. You know, um, I thought I'd be contributing to the problem instead of solving it. However, as, as I said to your researcher. If I was on the streets myself and, you know, having to sleep in these adverse weather conditions, I think I'd be on the drinking drugs myself. Yeah. And I can't blame them because no, absolutely not. the guys up in Scotland, you know, I take my hat off to them. I mean, they're, they're braver than me. Um, having to do that every single night of the year um, in these adverse weather conditions... No wonder they're on drink and drugs. I'm just, and just, just, go, just, just tell me why you think we shouldn't give people cash. In my honest opinion, I feel like we'd be adding to the uh, adding to the issue. Maybe you why? know we we were in Lichworth yesterday, and there there was a lady there um, begging. So we went over to Greg's, and we we went and got her a nice hot soup and a, and a cup of coffee. 
and we sat with her and spoke to her for, for 10, 15 minutes and, uh, you know, spoke about what she's going to possibly do with the snow and uh, adverse weather conditions coming up. And I, my partner actually said to me, she said, oh, well, why, why would you not give her money? And I said, oh, you know, if she was to go and buy, um, you know, drink and drugs and something was to, to happen, I'd feel as if I was the person who caused that. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, like, like I said, I, I don't, See, really I don't think them. we have the we have the right to judge anyone and say, I think this will happen if I do this. And even if it does, so what? Just they just want help. And if they do spend it on some drink or whatever it is, they're going to smoke. Fine. Don't you think? Uh, uh, yeah. I don't think you're no, adding yeah. to the problem. You're just helping someone. That's all you're doing. Giving them five yeah. minutes of, of pleasure, if you can exactly. call it pleasure. Yeah, I, I understand that. I mean, if if more people would have come out there and, you know, even just talk to people for five minutes and just show a bit of, you know, kindness, that that would be the easiest thing. I mean, the amount of people who I see walking through, um, you know, the local areas, and they, they turn their noses up. Yeah. They they look down on them. Yeah. And it's demoralising. Like you said, no wonder... I think, it, I think, it's, I think it's... I do think it's people looking down on them, but I also think it, there's a sort of embarrassment from people who who aren't homeless, you just don't want to make that connection. You just want to get on with your day and all the rest of it. And that that's the problem. Listen, I've got to go. George, thank you very much indeed. So that's thank George you, who does soup runs. Uh, this is very encouraging, all this, I must say. Uh, I'm not quite sure about the don't give cash. I think you still have to. Uh, there's a couple of really interesting texts here. This is uh, one from uh, Mary, who's in Oxford, who says, there's a guy who lives in a tent in a little piece of woodland by my allotment. Every morning I walk my well-fed dog in my expensive down coat and wellies and something dies inside of me. He says he is free and happy and I am the victim of my useless middle-class guilt, says Mary. I still give to shelter and still give the big issue. And here's an interesting one. Morning, says Andrew. It's snowing here in High Barnet, plus freezing. Uh, the government talked the talk about the homeless, but they continue to push home ownership and allowing people to buy property for investment instead of a home. Also, ex excessive immigration does not help. You could argue about the last point, but your first point, I agree with you. I don't know how draconian I would be if I was a housing minister or housing secretary, but this idea of owning... Why do you need more than one home? <laughs> It's a simple question. You need more than one home so you can make money out of it, don't you? Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three to let me know what you think our response should be when we see someone who's homeless. It's a quarter to six. Are you up? Ian Payne on LBC. Call oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. Good morning. It's ten minutes to six o'clock. It's a Sunday morning. If you've been taking part in the Sleep in the Park um, charity evening, night, overnight, I want to hear from you. If you're making your way home and you're just turning on the car heater or you're getting on the on the bus or something, and you want to, and you just come and tell us what it was like. Basically, there's a, a charity that has raised awareness. It's uh, raising cash as well. People. Have literally slept in a park in uh, Edinburgh last night, and they're all just about going home now. They're all getting up, by the way, quite early because there's now a charity race going on in Prince's Park. It's non-stop in Edinburgh today, I tell you. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. If you if you ring now and you are uh, taking part in that 
Um, we'll put you to the top of the pile, even though there's quite a queue. Uh, let us go to Martel, who is in Brighton. Got a load of people up and about in Brighton today. What's going on? Hello, Martel. Hi, hi, you're right, man. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. What's your story? Um, well, yeah, basically, I think uh, there was a call, not the last call, but the call before about um, basically like how some people you see uh, like on the streets, like they aren't, they aren't homeless. And, oh, what, um, they, they're doing it as a job? Yes, like, uh, you could almost say, like... What do you think? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, you could almost say they're, like, nine to five, like, homeless people. Yeah. Yeah, oh, beggars, beggars, yeah, because I know know personally, like, um, uh, some of the... They're not even homeless, like, uh, I I live in a a housing association uh, place, um, and I I know for a fact there's, like, uh, two residents that live together, um... And uh, they, they always, uh, I always see them outside Sainsbury's, uh, and I, I, and I see them outside Co-op as well. Like, and it, it's kind of awkward, uh, like walking <laughs> past them because I, I didn't know at first that they were homeless, um, but then uh, I saw them like walking into the block, and then uh, I, one of my other neighbours knows that they actually live here, and then I was like, what? Like, so they're just, they're just like that money could be going to. To other to people who actually need it. I think I don't. I mean, listen. I'm sure they don't have a wonderful life if they're if on the streets. But how much do you reckon someone could make they, begging a day? Got, they've got a house, though. They've got they've got they've got somewhere to live. I mean, I yeah. know you, a lot of pe- people probably don't have like amazing lives, but at least like at least they have a house. Like, well, real homeless people don't like. But yeah. but yeah, these people. I mean, yeah. Like, I don't think that. Uh, uh, the, 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 like Jeremy, I don't think they're making like like tens of thousands of pounds and like you know they're living so. properly com- comfortably. But um, but uh, I don't know. I, I swear I've I've heard like they can make about like I, like sometimes fifty pounds in a day or something like that. Like, okay, so so like, and tell me how, so how how does your housing association work then in terms of them? Yeah, I mean, would they be paying anything for that or how would that work yeah, for them? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but it's it's really cheap. So uh, housing housing benefit uh, covers uh, the rent, right. all of the rent, right. um, and uh, all we have to pay uh, out of our own like our benefits uh, is sixteen pounds sixty eight service charge, and that covers water, electric. So yeah, I mean, and, so why uh, can people who are actually homeless not get mm-hmm. one of these housing association roofs over their head? Oh, uh, okay, because. Uh, it, 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 I think basically there's like a waiting list, and you know that that's probably qu- quite quite big at the moment. Right. And, uh, and and there's there's different bands as well. Like there's band two, uh, which is a higher support need, and then band three. And and um and uh, like so you have to go into band two to come into in, into band three. Um, but, but how long did it take you to get a place? Uh, okay. Um. So uh, it took me about a month of waiting uh, to get into band two, and luckily I was only there for about four months actually. And then a band, uh, then they said I was, you know, uh, suitable for a band three place. Uh, and then I've been here now uh, in the band three place for about three and a half years, and I'm 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 on a. I don't know if you've heard of this scheme called Home Move. No, um, I haven't. Which okay, and in Brighton and Hove, it's uh, like a ho- the housing register. Where you get given a band, a priority band, um, and uh, you bid for properties, and then 
if you, yeah, and then if you're successful, um, you, you'll get one. Because um, uh, I, I'm band A because I was in care, so luckily I'm I'm quite high up the list. Right, so, I see. So um, you ticked quite a few of the boxes. Listen, it's lovely to yeah. speak to you, Martel. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just going to try and get through to uh, a few more sorry, people before. Yeah, cool, no, man. don't never apologise. Never apologise for talking on a talk station. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Christmas, well, my thanks. friend. As yeah, Martel, who's in Brighton. Um, let's cross over to Liverpool now. And Mark. Hello, Mark. You know quite a few people on the streets, I gather. Yeah, hello, mate. Hello. Yeah, I know loads. Listen, I want to make an appeal. Now, if little Vitaly from Riga is out there listening, listening to the radio somewhere, it's Scouse Mark. It's Macha. I need to hear from you. I'm worried sick about you. One of the lads has gone missing, Ian, and I'm worried sick about so, him. Sorry, this is someone who lives on the street, who's homeless? Yeah, I bring him back to mine every now and again, go and get a shower, uh, feed him up, blah, blah. He does me garden, a little garden for me and that. Crack a lad, but he's just disappeared. Anyway, let me get back to the point. Okay. People need to start, people need to start getting things in order here. Just because people are on the street asking for money doesn't mean they're homeless. There's a whole new culture and counterculture of begging going on. People who are sick to death or scared to death are going to prison. Do you know no other way out except crime? And they're coming onto the streets and they're asking us for our help towards the drug habit and the drink habit. It's as simple as that. They can't eat anymore. They're sick to death of eating. They're filled up deep more than you or me. They've got drug habits and need they need help and hand. It's as simple as that. They need to be keep it, kept out of prison. Listen, they've even up here, right? I'm, I'm got a kid who I went to school with. It's absolutely heroin. I know who that could be. Because, listen, I've had a long-term heroin habit myself. And it's something I'd never, ever do. And I could get myself in a right mess over it. And life looking at the lads and the girls. What are you doing? What are you doing? What's brought you to this? We know what's brought them to this. They're scared of going to prison. And they've got terrible drug habits. It's as simple as that. You've even got pips. I had to go to one of these lads the other day. He said, Macha, he said, listen, this kid's on the case. He's taking me money off me. So, uh, so I went over to this pen bright and I said to him, see him and you see him, leave him alone. If I hear you going near them again, then we're going to fall out. It's absolutely harrowing what's going on. These people, mate, are happy with 15 quid a day. There isn't enough money to go around them all to be making Brewsters and Warners here every single day. The money isn't there. There's that many of them, Ian. It's a tragedy. Why, in your, you why in your experience, Mark, is, is are more and more people having to live homeless lives? Um, well, I, I just said to you, a lot of them are homeless. They're begging because they need to feed the Abbey. I They're see. two totally separate uh, types of people. You know what I mean? The fact of it is, the scared to death. Don't forget, right. no shop security and the and a, a crime reduction. But if they if it, they have got somewhere where they can sleep with a roof over their head, how are they paying for that? They're not paying for this. And there can be one lad right who's getting his rent paid. He's in the system right, right. And, and there's about eight of them going to stay in. There. Listen, I know lads there right who've never signed on for seven, eight years. They don't go near the door. They're out the system. They don't want any part of it. These aren't savers. These are people with problems who need our sympathy. Fair enough. Okay, Mark, that's very interesting to hear that. So that's Mark in Liverpool who's saying um, a lot of these homeless people are actually not homeless. They're just trying to get money for a drug, had- a drug habit. 
Very interesting. Um, so, do, 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 let's have a look. There have been many documented cases, says, doesn't say, 1963. Uh, many documented cases of people living rough with assets. It's a choice for some. Uh, pointless sleeping out for a night, pretending to be homeless. Well, it's made us talk about it. Uh, you may not, it may not feel like you're actually homeless yourselves, but it does raise the awareness. And as I say, we're talking about it. Uh, it'll be all over the the media this morning. It has been throughout the evening, and it, it, it's made uh, made us here at LBC have a conversation, not one, but uh, several conversations about it. Okay, let's talk some foreign policy. The Arab League has signed a declaration early this morning saying Donald Trump's Jerusalem decision risks plunging the Middle East into violence and chaos. The declaration was published at around 1am this morning and among the signatories were some of America's allies like Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and Jordan. They now want the UN to condemn President Trump's decision to officially recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. There have already been several days of protests and riots. What time is it? It's 8am over there now, two hours ahead. It's probably just about to kick off again. The Islamist group Hamas says two of its members have been killed. You tell me, what do you think should happen now? On FM, online, on your mobile and on digital radio. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC. This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with Ian Payne. Right, so we are going to talk now about the repercussions of... Uh, do you know what I'm... Let me just... Um, we'll just play it to you. We are, we're, this is a, an announcement that was made during the week which has had severe repercussions following and will continue to reverberate for a long, long time. I have determined that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. While previous presidents have made this a major campaign promise, they failed to deliver. Today, I am delivering. I've judged this course of action to be in the best interests of the United States of America and the pursuit of peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Donald Trump with his historic announcement recognizing Jerusalem as the official capital of Israel. The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, was absolutely delighted by the move. We turn to Jerusalem to touch its golden stones, to walk its hallowed streets. So it's rare to be able to speak of new and genuine milestones in the glorious history of this city. Yet today's pronouncement by President Trump is such an occasion. We're profoundly grateful for the President for his courageous and just decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and to prepare for the opening of the U.S. Embassy here. This decision reflects the president's commitment to an ancient but enduring truth, to fulfilling his promises and to advancing peace. The president's decision is an important step towards peace, for there is no peace that doesn't include Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. I call on all countries that seek peace to join the United States 
in recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital and to move their embassies here. I share President Trump's commitment to advancing peace between Israel and all of our neighbors, including the Palestinians. This has been our goal from Israel's first day, and we will continue to work with the President and his team to make that dream of peace come true. I also want to make clear there will be no change whatsoever to the status quo at the holy sites. Israel will always ensure freedom of worship for Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike. President Trump, thank you for today's historic decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The Jewish people and the Jewish state will be forever grateful. So is it the start of a brand, brand new dawn? Um, are we on the road to peace? Or are we, uh, as I suspect, and it was interesting, listen, I'm going to sort of steal some of Majid Noed's thunder, if I may, when he was talking about this yesterday and um, obviously knows a, a great deal more about this situation than I do. But And I think his point is absolutely right, and I can only concur. And he was saying that what President Trump has done, actually recognising Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is, is not necessarily such news. I mean, it's, the, the Russians already did it. I think a couple of other countries have done so before. The United States has sort of tacitly said, well, yes, it is, but not officially. The the parliament, the Knesset, is in um, Jerusalem already. Um, so it's, it's not as if the, 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 the Jerusalem was not considered the capital. Yeah, the embassies aren't going. And actually, Trump has walked back from that stance saying um, that the embassy won't actually move because I think just saying that it's the capital is, is, a, is almost like a symbolic statement it doesn't actually mean a great deal I don't think but moving the embassy would um, the uh, UN Security Council is uh, 15 members and the United States was the only one they were totally isolated all 14 condemned what he did um, so you know the, the United States is on its own here and Donald Trump is a maverick as we know but what it's done, and I think what Marjorie summed up so brilliantly yesterday, was what it's done is it's, it's handed power to the extremists and the hardliners. It's handed power particularly to Hamas, who are obviously are very hard-nosed about this. They don't want... Well, they are committed, basically, to the destruction of Israel, the destruction uh, of Zionism, to, to, to basically remove the inhabitants, the Jewish inhabitants of Israel, of, of Jerusalem, and drive them into the sea. That's their kind of stated aim. So you're never going to get any kind of peace process. You're never going to get any movement forward with dealing with people like that. And there are people, obviously, on the Israeli side, less of them, I think, who are very hard-nosed as well, and they don't want anything to do with any Arabs or any Palestinians in the region and of course they believe in the so-called settlements which the international community says are um, illegal but the Israeli government continues to say that these settlements are basically building houses for Jews in Palestinian areas so the 1990 what was it 1992 Oslo wasn't it um, said you, you, this is this is for people in Palestine this is not for people this is not for Jews this is not for Israelis but they still got them there illegal settlements or are they neighborhoods Jewish neighborhoods as the government call them so I'm really asking people you know if to, to discuss this from if you have a particular um, 
interest in this region. We did a fascinating phone-in on this not so very long ago, and we got people from all sides. We've got people ringing us from Jerusalem. So if anyone's listening from Jerusalem, good morning. Hope you're well. What's going on in the city? Because Jerusalem is, is basically, um, well, the old city right in the middle is just divided into into four quarters, literally four quarters like a cake. Um, so you have the, the Jewish quarter, you have the, you know, the Muslim quarter, you have the Christian quarter, and you have the Armenian quarter as well, which slightly sort of clouds things. And or they, it will have. And what's so depressing about all this is the similarities between the religions and this idea that you know, Abraham had these couple of sons and one group has created Judaism and another group has created um, Islam, but that didn't come till later. So the history of it is all very kind of um, sad and whether or not it's relevant anymore, I don't know. So what what is the way forward from this and is is there any way out of this now there's going to be more demonstrations today Hamas has called on people to what was Friday was supposed to be a day of rage I don't know what yesterday was uh, and today who knows what's going to happen but we're kind of getting if not bored by it I'm wondering whether or not you see any solution to the problem and whether or not Donald Trump has actually hit on something here that you think might be a good idea so let's look at it from the Arab League's point of view. So the Arab League is basically the um, it's, it's the kind of the, the NATO of the Arab world. It's 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 more than that. It's the, it's the UN of Arabia, of the Middle East. And uh, obviously, many of the big hitters are involved in this. And they have turned on the Americans to say that, you know, you can't you can't suddenly unilaterally say that Jerusalem is the capital of um, of Israel without some sort of repercussion. So, again, Trump has has completely um, s- side uh, sidestepped everybody. He, he's come from left field, and nobody has, saw this one coming. But then I think he quite likes to do that because it, it it kind of makes him it, it makes him it makes the situation about him. Uh, Eddie's just texted me and said, Ian, this situation could be easily sorted out. All the rest of the world has to do is for the leaders to say they will not be moving their embassy to Jerusalem. Let Trump get on with it. Hopefully the American people will get rid of him soon. I disagree, actually, Eddie. I think it's more a case of looking at what he's done. OK, he's done it for various reasons about himself and about America. But I think, you know, if he's going to do that, what would happen if Trump said we, as the American people, recognise... Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine as well. Could that happen? That's the, that's what I want to explore here, because maybe that would be a way forward. I don't think moving their embassy to Jerusalem is going to happen. I think that would be seen as, I said, this is symbolic and it's caused enough trouble. But I think if they tried to do that as well, you might get into a situation where you would start to involve other countries. And that really would be damaging for the area i mean they they say that this has caused unrest and it will lead to this and it will lead to that but to be honest with you it was pretty bad already wasn't it i think so what's happened this morning so at about 1 a.m today the arab league uh, they agreed their resolution they had hours of talks in cairo the capital of egypt and their declaration was backed by a number of the u.s allies they include the united arab emirates saudi arabia and Jordan, who'd already voiced their concern. So this is what the resolution has said. The US had, quote, withdrawn itself as a sponsor and broker of any possible Israeli-Palestinian peace process through its decision. Mr Trump's move, quote, deepens tensions, ignites anger, and threatens to plunge the region into more violence and chaos. 
And thirdly, the resolution states, a request will be made for the UN Security Council to condemn the move. Well, they've already had an emergency meeting of the UN Security Council on Friday, and the US, as I mentioned before, found itself isolated, with the other 14 members all condemning Mr Trump's declaration. But the US ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, accused the UN of bias, saying it has outrageously been one of the world's foremost centres of hostility towards Israel, and that the US was still committed to finding peace. Do you think the UN is biased against Israel? I'm not so sure. I think they may appear such because Israel is one amongst however many surrounding countries around them, and and that's you get more noise from the other countries because there are more of them. So uh, on Saturday, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who we heard from earlier, said he had heard, quote, voices of condemnation over President Trump's historic announcement, but had not heard any condemnation of the rocket firing against Israel that has come and the awful incitement against us. Three rockets were fired towards Israel from Gaza on Friday, that's where Hamas are based, leading Israel to carry out airstrikes in response. It said it hit military sites belonging to the Islamist group Hamas. It's killed two of its members. Uh, We've had hundreds of protesters in the West Bank and Gaza on Saturday, but uh, according to reports, the, the crowds were smaller than on previous days. In northern Israel, a bus was pelted with rocks as it passed through mostly Arab communities. Three Israelis were injured. And on Friday, there were far more protesters across the region. There were solidarity demonstrations. They were held across the Arab world and on other Muslim-majority nations. We can go into the importance of Jerusalem, if you like. But I'd like to know if you believe that maybe this might be a way of... Um, it's certainly focusing attention on the region. I've never known so much talk about this particular area, although it's been you know, pretty volatile for so many years. And I'm wondering whether there's anyone out there that thinks that this might actually be a way forward. Give me a call now and let me know. 03456060973. Or, or will it, as Majid and, I, and myself too, believe that you're just handing power to Hamas? You're giving them an excuse to rabble-rouse basically. Hamas are never going to be involved in any kind of peace deal because I'm not sure they even want peace. They just want violence. They want them driven out. It's far better to speak to the people who are much more placatory, um, who won't, who be in the West Bank representing the... I mean, remember Hamas was the people who basically had wanted nothing to do with the PLO. I mean, how far can we go? So I don't, I don't really think that their situation and their involvement is going to help any. 03456060973. Let's have a mature Sunday morning conversation about the future. Let me ask a very simple question. Shouldn't the American president and others now recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine too? What do you think about that idea? 03456060973. It's worth trying, isn't it? What would happen then? Would they be condemned? You're listening to LBC. This is uh, Ian Payne in for Steve Allen. It is quarter past six. This is LBC with Ian Payne. 
We're talking about President Trump and Jerusalem and the uh, ramifications of his decision. Uh, it's moved on a notch today because at about 1am, about five hours ago, Arab officials signed a declaration, the Arab League, saying that President Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital risks plunging the Middle East into violence and chaos. The resolution said three things. It said the US had withdrawn itself as a sponsor and broker of any possible Israeli-Palestinian peace process through that decision. Mr Trump's move, quote, deepens tension, ignites anger and threatens to plunge the region into more violence and chaos. And three, a request will be made for the UN Security Council to condemn the move. And I ask the question, why do people feel that the UN are biased against Israel? That's what the Israelis think. And I believe that's what Henry thinks as well. Good morning. Morning, Ian. How are you? Fine. You're calling us from Israel. Whereabouts? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Israel. I'm, not, I'm sort of in the centre of Israel, in, in an area near Khadera. OK. So you think the UN is biased against Israel? Absolutely, 100%. At the end of the day, when you look at the um, resolutions that have been passed against Israel, you're looking at 130-odd against minor numbers against all the other countries where all the atrocities are happening. Everything that Israel does, the UN wants to, wants, wants to squash it. And there will never be peace here anyway. Um, at the end of the day, while we have people like Hamas who run uh, Gaza, and the first thing they did after the President Trump had made his statement, they closed all the schools and they told the children to go out and riot. When we have that happening in Israel, there will never be peace. You know, their mentality uh, for their children growing up to be martyrs, and that is happening all over. When you look at guards at the West Bank, all you see is children being taught in their schools to hate Jews and to hate Israelis. It was my, it, it was my impression from a faraway place, Henry, and, and I appreciate I've not been to Israel, but I have lots of friends, obviously, that do. I do a lot of I do or work for a Jewish charity, so I kind of have quite a lot of contact with people. And I'm, I was just wondering whether or not, is there, should we distinguish between the mentality of Hamas and what they say to, to young Palestinians in Gaza as opposed to the West Bank, which seems to be a little bit more conciliatory? Well, at the, at the end of the day, you know, when, 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 you, when you have that happening in schools around the areas that I'm talking about, when you've got children growing up in schools where they are taught that, you know, it's good to go out and throw stones at the Israelis. Um, as they grow up, how, how are they going to learn any different? Mm. All I know is that I, I work with a lot of Arabs, Israeli Arabs, and I'll be honest with you, when you talk to them off the book, one-to-one, they don't want a two-state situation. They want to stay under the Israeli flag yeah. because they have all the rights yeah. and they have the same rights that I have. Yeah. Um, I'm English. I'm English. I came here seven years ago when I took Aliyah and became Israeli. Yeah. Um, they have the same medical rights, the well, same we, money we, rights, I, the I, same evidence. I have the same, I have the same experience. As I say, I work with this Jewish charity. They do a thing called the Equalizer Program, which is basically organising a lot of five-a-side football for 10, 11, 12-year-olds from all the different faiths and races. I think it's the Jewish, Arab, and Druze, I believe it is, as well. And so yep. there's, there's yep. a lot. So, so it's kind of like, and the boys are sort of learning that actually you're no different to me, really. And it, it's only a small thing, but it just it's a sort of step in the right direction, hopefully. What about the thing that, that I would, would like to ask you? I totally understand um, how, you, how you feel about 
what Hamas says to young children, etc. Let's look at the counter argument. One of the strongest things I ever hear from people who are pro-Palestinian is by de- by de- building these settlements or neighbourhoods in in these areas where which are deemed illegal by the UN, and you would say that's unfair. Are you not stoking the flames a little bit by doing that? Is not Israel doing that, having these these settlements, putting Jewish homes in Arab areas? Well, you know, are, are they Arab? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you, you know, we, we well, get the, the international community are, um, has recognised them as Palestinian areas, which you're not really supposed to be in. Can you see that? I can see it and I can't see it. At the end of the day, a lot of Israelis say it is our land. It's been our land for 3,000 years. And at the end of the day, it's like when, what happened with the Six-Day War. Legally, once you take a war, once you take a position through a war, it becomes yours. Right. Now, all of a sudden, it, they're saying it's not ours. You know, where, are, where is that green line? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, when I drive around Israel, um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't understand a lot of it because... We're accused of being apartheid, for instance. I go out on a Friday morning with my wife, and I sit down in a restaurant, and I'm sitting next to an Arab one side, and I'm sitting next to a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk along the beach in Tel Aviv on a, on a Shabbat. You go there, and you've got people dressed in Arab dress sitting mm-hmm. on a beach. I, you've got Israeli... But I don't, I don't think the problem is necessarily in places where you live, or indeed in Jerusalem, where people... OK, they don't mix greatly, but, you know, they live side by side. It's fairly peaceful, as I understand it. It's in the outside parts of the country where you've got this problem. Is that not right? Well, you say that. I mean, Hadera, I mean, I, I, live, I live between Hadera and Afula, and we live next to Am um, Arafah, um, which is the largest Arab city in Israel. Now, when, when there is no problems, we don't have any problems. This weekend, days of rage, we haven't been able to leave our Mushav because for the simple reason, there's been writing downstairs. There's been, there's on, the, on, on the road 65, there was buses that were, were, were smashed and people were hurt. Um, so when there are problems, even in places where there are Israeli Arabs, they still riot and they still cause problems. It is a minority because, as I say, the people I work with, um, they don't have a problem with Israelis, but some do. And whilst we have um, a situation where every time there's a problem, all they want to go and do is fight, burn the flags, hit buses... It doesn't matter if there's an Arab on the bus. They still get hurt. Mm. It will never, ever change, Ian, unfortunately. I don't see there being peace here in my lifetime, my children's, and even my grandchildren's. That's a shame. I'm, you know, I'm really fascinated to see. I'll speak to Henry. He's actually in, in Israel. Have you got a couple more minutes to, to chat, Henry? Yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. yeah so, carry on. Yeah. So it's a Sunday morning, it's in there. Uh, you know, you're saying that this day of rage, this is actually impacted on where you live as well this is actually this is quite a, a much higher amount of protest stroke violence than you normally have yeah absolutely my normal day i go down we go down the hill and we, we pick up the 65 we have no problems i go out weekends and i traveled all around israel i personally never have a problem other one other than when there is an infatada or there are problems even you know caused by someone abroad it's instantly you like to fire, and people are affected immediately. Mm. You, know, we, we, you know, we only, you know, the one thing I'd like to say, and I said this to people yesterday, I do not ever remember a time when Israel had started a problem. 
the only time we ever do anything is in retaliation. Yeah. You know, the rockets come over, we have to defend our people. No, I, I get... You know, I, I, totally under, I totally understand that, and I, and I, as again, speaking to people who live there, I can understand exactly... People think Israel are going out and bombing. They, they, they're just reacting. They're just def- most of it is defence, really. So you say you cannot see peace in your lifetime. Really? I, I really can't, unfortunately. No, I, I say I live here, I love it here, my children are here, my grandchildren are here, my children have done the army. But at the end of the day, I cannot see peace. You know, at the end of the day, every single time there's a problem, and it can be a miniature problem, someone is sending rockets over. I mean, four times yesterday, rockets were fired out of Gaza. Um, into, I've got friends who live that way in, in, in the south. I've got friends who, who live in Beersheba, in Ashkelon, in Ashdod. And, you know, it's, it's a real worry. You know, at the end of the day, they're firing rockets indiscriminately. They don't know where they're going to land. And they, uh, then the world condemns us because we fire back. You know, um, What's, what, would happen if, if, what would happen if Trump turned around and said, I also recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine? You know, I, I, I want to live next to my neighbours. I don't want to have a problem... It's irrelevant whether they're Arab, whether they're black, whether they're white, whether they're Chinese. I don't care. And most Israelis don't care. Because if they cared, they wouldn't go to these cafes and sit down with Arabs sitting next to them. They wouldn't go to places. You know, I, I, know, I know for a fact that our Israeli army, we look after the churches. We look after the mosques. We look after everything. We don't want any problem. You know, everybody I talk to that have been in the army... They would much rather be friends. You know, Israel Israel is not a place that just goes around indiscriminately firing rockets. The only time we we, we retaliate is when they are firing at us. We never, ever start, Ian, ever. No, I, I, Israeli fired a, a I, re- I really, then... I really hear what you're saying, and um, I'm delighted that you've come on and uh, enlightened us in some way, Henry. Thank you very much. Uh, stay safe, my friend. Happy Christmas, if I can say that. Uh, the time, you, the time, the time now is half past six on a Sunday morning. Let's get the latest news headlines from Thomas Watts. The f- Ian Payne on LBC. Call 0345 6060973. A very enlightening, but in some ways depressing call there from Henry, who was in Israel, who has basically said he's 40 years old, there will never be peace in the region in his lifetime. Um, And you you get, well, you don't get the impression. You find out by talking to people in that area that they have a fairly dim view of the Palestinian psyche, or at least the Palestinian psyche in the minds of people like Hamas. Here's a, let me give you, this is John in Hendon, um, who's, who's actually given me a list of good restaurants to go to in Gaza. One's called Roots, apparently. Thank you, John. Uh, you have to understand the Palestinian mentality, says John. Take, for instance, when Israel relinquished Gaza, there were state-of-the-art vegetable nurseries called Gush Katif, the Palestinians immediately smashed the place up and then had the chutzpah to say that they had no jobs. So I think there's a there's a definite sort of in, there's a feeling amongst Palestinians that Israelis look down on them, whether they do or whether they don't, whether the, whatever the truth is, that doesn't help. The settlement thing in the West Bank doesn't help, even though Israel say, well, it's our land, but it doesn't help. But when you have, and my contention would be, if you have an organisation like Hamas involved. In a situation like this, you won't get peace because they don't want peace. They want to get rid of Israel. That's their purpose. 
So you really need them out of the equation. They are unhelpful in this respect at work, at best. Um, and they are um, lethal at worst. Ian is in Acton. Hello, Ian. Hi, good morning. Morning. Um, yeah, I'm a bit depressed, um, like many people were listening to that conversation, but for, the, for a different reason. I thought I was listening to a, a satirical comedy show. I mean, you oh. two were going at it as though Israel was, was just minding their own business for thousands of years, and then suddenly Palestinians and Hamas come along and start firing rockets. I mean, that's appalling. He wasn't a journalist. You're a journalist. Okay. Um, you should know better. You know, to, to argue from this position as though the first initiator is Hamas firing rockets into Israeli land it's just nonsense. It's give, us the real, give us the real story then. I mean, you know, I'm sure Israeli uh, foreign embassy would be kind of, uh, the embassies were clapping and applauding. Give us the real story then. Well, you know the real story, but I'll just remind you what the real story is. The real story is that Israel has been occupying Palestinian land since 1948. And Palestinians are resisting occupation. We would do exactly the same in this country, and they would do exactly the same in the vast majority of countries. To peg this as though... Palestinians started the aggression is firstly inaccurate and secondly is simply peddling Zionist propaganda. You're doing the job of the propagandists that they bring out people like Mark Regovon to mainstream media in order to peddle the same nonsense. So you and people don't believe it anymore. So, but okay, so we're at a situation we can't. You see, but the problem is when you start talking from the historical point of view, and you're saying, "Well, they were there then, and then we did this, and they were there then." How far do you go back? It's like the orange men in. Well, in, in hold well, on, let me let me finish. And so they, it's like you know, in Northern Ireland and all the rest of it. What you have to do is you have to look at it from a. If you're going to try and solve this, and I agree with Henry, I don't think it will be solved. If you're going to solve this, you need to look at it from today's situation. Don't go on about well, we were there and they were there, well, and you all. didn't do that. What? But why didn't you two do that? You two didn't start from. I'm today. talking about. From about I'm, I'm talking about the situation the now from a not from a from a non. And I would would like to say I'm I'm not biased. I'd hope not. From a non-biased point of view, it seems to me that, that the solution to this is very very obvious. And the solution cannot be found if people kill going and still keep saying, well, they shouldn't be there and they shouldn't be there. You are where you are, and the only way forward is to deal with things as, as they are now. And to say they shouldn't be there at all, they are there, whether they should no. be or not. But and, you, this, is armchair, this is armchair analysis. We're sit you're sitting there in the studio, I'm sitting in a car somewhere in, in Acton, and we're discussing about what Palestinians should settle down for. That's not true. That's not the just way of... What do you think it. should happen? Well, what I think should happen is that Israel should get out of Palestine. But that's land, not going to happen. Return. Well, of course it's not going to happen, because the vast majority of people like you, like the political powers... You're like being unrealistic. You will never Israel. have peace if you have realism, that attitude. Realism, it won't happen. Your realism, your realism is supported by money and power. If the money and the power are in the hand of the Palestinians, that would be the reality. In order to discuss political analysis on the basis of money, not morality, this is the, the situation you're going to fool yourselves. Uh, no, you're, no, find you're yourself wrong. In. Because, because you're saying it's, it's unrealistic purely because Israel is supported by the US and the UK and the vast majority of Western countries how is politically. It, how is it possible in any way to remove Jews from Israel now exactly. after everything that's happened? How is it possible? Exactly the same way that <clears throat> Jews removed Palestinian Muslims away out of that land over 70 years ago. The same procedure. There's nothing's changed. There's, there, it's not right for me to come and steal your, your house. Where, so, uh, so you're telling me that no Palestinians live in Israel? Is that what you're telling me? 
I'm saying that there are millions of Palestinians outside Israel with less right to live in Palestine than Jewish Israelis. How is that you're right? Saying, you're saying that basically the Jews have pushed out all the Palestinians. There are no Palestinians there. They don't allow... It's nonsense. No, don't, don't patronise me. There's I'm not patronising you. are talking nonsense. There's always going to be people who are going to be remaining there. Now, of course, that's, you know, to, to, to make this a black and white issue is that Israel have kicked out every single Palestinian. Well, you make it a black and white out. issue. You no, say Israel basically no, turned up and kicked us out. No, just open the book and read history. <laughs> Jew, Jewish is Jewish people went in there at the by the guidance and and the force of British mandate of Palestine, by the way, and French. Giving, Don't forget the French, uh, of course. You know your history, and, obviously. Uh, and they and they literally kicked out hundreds and thousands of Palestinians. Some Palestinians remained. Of course, they remained as the same. The same with any colonial power. The same All right, answer me this then. One of the points that Henry was making was it is totally unhelpful, and I agree that if you are trying to find a peaceful solution to the problem that we have now, it is totally unhelpful to have an organisation like Hamas basically encouraging people to violence. Would you agree with that or not? No, because that's only the type of propaganda that you hear from Israel. It's a resistance movement. So you don't think they're calling for violence this weekend? Jews also had armed resistance in the Second World War, and we celebrate. I'm not talking about the Second World War. I'm talking about the situation. No, you have to make comparisons. You can't. Armed resistance. If you talk you know, about historical events, you will never get anywhere. You will have men on the orange parade. No, I'm, I'm with their with their whistles. Come on. I'm bringing you principles. You believe in armed resistance, don't you? I don't know. I don't. I, this, I, of course you do. No, you do. Okay, you I do. do. You obviously know me. I'm a pacifist. I don't really believe in no, armed oh, anything. Come on. You not only believe in armed resistance in your own country, you believe in armed resistance as a proxy war, fighting Daesh militants. And you're right to do I don't it, believe in that. You believe in freedom. How, yes, you do. How dare you, you tell me how believe. I feel about something? You I don't know what... You on this radio station. I believe in armed... I be, well, if you listen to me, and you obviously haven't, I've, told, I've said many times I don't believe in inter- Intervention in foreign intervention. I'm a pacifist at heart, and maybe that makes me odd, but I don't believe in it. So I don't know where you're getting all this from. If, if, if ISIS takes over Golders Green, and after 50 years of occupying that space, you think, yeah, yeah, do you know what? Just, just let. What, what, what are kind of British people worrying about? What are the Jews living in Golders Green who used to live in Golders Green worrying okay. about? Right, Ian, let's, let, let's, let's cut That's to the chase. Great. Will there be peace in your lifetime over mm. there? I don't know. How does it happen? It happened before any kind of actions taken. People need to change their narrative. The narrative that I'm sorry that was peddled in this conversation and in all the conversations across Britain is that Israel is not the aggressor. Israel is the occupier. Palestinians are the occupied. You have to bring status quo when you start to bring those two on a level playing field. Right. There's no negotiation between an oppressor and an oppressed. Can you have any kind of peace... Powers. Hold on. Can you have any form of peace settlement with one side saying, our objective aim is to remove the other side from that land? Can you well, ever that, achieve that, peace? I know that, you're going to go back and say, well, that's what they did to us. No, no, I won't. I okay. won't. But also agreed for Israel to be an equal partner in the negotiation. So this propaganda, this, this is from the 80s, by the way, this propaganda that Jews in Golders Green, Jews in Stamford Hill and Israel uh, in Tel Aviv, this propaganda is from the 1980s. Hamas has changed its position since then. But of course, it's very difficult when Israel bombs 
2,000 uh, people and a third of them children, it's very difficult to tell people in Palestine, oh, don't worry, we're going to negotiate. No, this is, you're living in a dreamland. So if you were to say, if you were to say that this latest spate of violence over the last three days, which will presumably continue today, who would you say started that? Oh, definitely Israel. Israel started it since 1948. The no, moment... no, don't go back to 1948, Ian. I'm talking about now. People who are dying this week, OK? Who started the violence this week? Uh, Donald Trump incited violence. There we go. All right. Listen. You're so- not willing to accept that. You're not willing to accept that. That's the problem. No, I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to accept that believe- somebody says something and that makes somebody die. No, yeah, what I'm, what that's I won't accept. As a pacifist, I think so, as soon as someone fires a rocket, they are the aggressor. Donald Trump says some mad, mad things. It doesn't mean I go out in the streets and try and, you know, smash someone in the face because of it. No, but we don't leave peace to the Palestinians living inside West Bank and Gaza who are being occupied and their calories are being counted by Israel. We don't leave peace to them. We leave peace to the so-called leader of the free world to be wise enough to know what is politically correct, what is... What if he, what what if he said, what if he said today, Ian, that not only is Jerusalem the capital of Israel, we officially recognise it as the capital of Palestine. How would that go down? Well, of course it'd be, it'd be better, but still, you, 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 Donald Trump relies on his gut feeling, just like many people in Britain do. They just, re- they just look at what's happening, they go, oh, do you know what, I wish there would all just be peace. You know, this, we, this is why we have advisors, we have intelligent people who've studied international relations, they've studied politics, they've studied how revolution starts, how it ends, how peace is initiated, and that's how you make decisions. It's not the basis of someone's tweet or someone's feeling. Donald Trump is an idiot. And it, he, the fact that he's a leader of the free world is exactly the kind of reason why we have violence in the Middle East. I enjoyed that. Thank you, Ian. That's Thank Ian Acton with a, a different view. Am I being too unsympathetic to the Palestinian cause? Quite a few of you are saying that. Zenga is in Halston. You can't understand the Israeli situation or the Israel situation unless you understand the history. You're being very unsympathetic to the Palestinians living in Israel who have suffered. I, I'm hoping I'm not. All I'm doing is I'm coming at it from, I agree, I think once you get too immersed in the history and the religion and the holy place, we won't get anywhere. You have to take the situation as it is now and deal with the present. You can't get to the future without the present. You'll never get to the future with the past because this past is as past as you get on this planet. There is nowhere in the world like it. Good morning. It's quarter to seven. Said to me, could you sit in for Stevie's having a bit of a rest this week? And, they, and then they said, could you do Sunday as well? And I thought, OK, I'll have a little relax, sort of five till seven. And it'll, you know, it'll be like, you know, beautiful calm waters and we'll have gentle chats and maybe a bit of music. And no. Wow. Ian from Acton has um, got me rattled there. I, don't, I very rarely get rattled, but I have to say, and I, I really appreciate him doing so. So we've had two totally different 
opposing views on this. It's Israel against Palestine. Henry and Israel said totally one thing. Ian and Acton said totally the other thing. And it's riled up you as well, because Margaret in Dundee, good morning, Margaret, has used a lot of capital letters in her text. That's always a sign. If you want the real story of the land of Palestine, you should read the relevant chapter of William Dalrymple's book, From the Holy Mountain. You'd get the real story of how the Palestinians were kicked out of their homes and businesses to make room for the Jews. The Palestinians believe they were only moving out temporarily. Instead, the Israelis have since moved more moved into more of the Palestinians' land. Read your history. I agree with Ian from Acton. Fair enough. OK. All I'm saying is, if you get too bogged down in the history, this will never happen. So imagine if Ian or uh, got the way that he wants. So he feels that Palestinians have been kicked out by the Jews. We created the state. Yes, we did, in the Balfour Treaty in, in 1917, and then, obviously, with what happened in 1948 after the war. Can you imagine now... Looking at the situation we have, what on earth would happen if somebody somewhere, the UN, or I said, right, we're going to get rid of all the Israelis from, from Israel now, all the Jews are going to have to leave because it's not actually their land and the Palestinians are moving. Can you, can you even imagine? And that's what I can't understand. It's like, if you keep going on about the injustices of history, you will never go forward. You will never proceed. I am not in any way taking sides because there's been bad on both sides. But the problem is we are where we are now and it can't be solved unless we use what the situation is today. There is an Israel. There are Jews and Arabs living side by side. They have to... It's, it's just like, you know, it's like saying Northern Ireland. Is it Irish or is it British? No, it's Northern Ireland. You can argue about which it is, but actually it's Northern Ireland. And this area, be it Palestine, be it Israel, whatever it's called, it needs to be shared because neither side wants to leave. That's the problem. Valder's in Golders Green. Hello, Valder. Can I... I was... Can I just say one thing about the history? And then yes, I'm yes, yes, go on Basically, then. Basically, a lot of people, you, like Ian from Acton, said that, you know, Israel kicked the Palestinians out. They didn't. If you go and you look at Ben Gurion, um, at the first Prime Minister, Israeli Prime Minister's speech, he actually said, asked Palestinians not to leave, asked them to make it part of one country. That's one thing. The other thing is, they. It wasn't just Palestinians who lost their homes, who lost everything in 1940 after Israel declared independence. 700,000 Jews had to, leave, had to leave the Arab world because the Arabs could not accept Israel's existence and, in their rage, and took out all their rage on their, Jew, on their Jewish citizens who found it necessary to leave. The majority of Jews who left, my family among them, went to Israel. So it wasn't just one side that lost everything. It's sad, it's there sad. There were Jews on the, on the other well, side. We're never going to get anywhere if we keep referring to it. And I totally understand why I, I you did. You're trying agree. to address the balance. I, I, just want to <clears throat> I just want to point that out because I very rarely hear that. Right. The other thing I want to say, you're right, we have to live in the present. At the moment, as a Jew, I, I, in an ideal world, I would want Israel as a Jew, part of the Jewish state. But the reality is the Palestinians want it as well. Mm -hmm. Neither I personally believe Israel's Jerusalem should be given international status right. as an international city protected by both sides, controlled by neither. So, in other words, no neither side. So, are you saying embassies would still be in Tel Aviv 
and they would still and be in Ramallah. Ramallah. And the Palestinians would have a, an embassy in Ramallah. Yeah. But neither, and the Vatican already has it, in that it's a, it's a slightly different entity within Italy. That's my understanding. I could be wrong, but that is my understanding. So why not, why not give it to Jerusalem? Make Jerusalem an international city with separate status and not part of either country. OK, that's one, that's one possible solution. Let me ask you the question I asked Henry, who'd called from Israel earlier. Um, and that is, what is your view? Do you, what is your view of the so-called settlements or neighbourhoods in the West Bank? Are they not provocative? They, I, I think, in their principle, they could be deemed as provocative. On the other hand, we had settlements in there was settlements in Gaza until Gaza was handed over to the Palestinians, and settlements the settlements were removed. I think the issue of the settlements is blown up out of proportion simply because Israel does put down settlements, but it has also removed settlements in, in order to promote peace. So to say, well, look, here are the settlements, that's it. Israel is creating mm. a final solution by denying the Palestinians. But this is, this is, and this is why, the case. this is exactly why I say if you're going to, and you know, who am I to tell people who live there what they should do with their future? But, you know, if I was asked, it would be, look at the situation at the moment. You have Israelis living in, in these particular areas. You have Arabs living here. You, everything's sort of mixed up. Just see it as a land for everyone it doesn't whatever you call it maybe it was called two different i don't know just just be more conciliatory and it's just like the more intransigent one side gets the more the other digs its heels in and it's just so sad because you're actually very similar people sorry but i would agree with henry i don't see peace in in my generation or in my children's generation no, nor do i the two sides hate each other you can forget about Jerusalem, forget about the settlements, forget about everything else. The two sides need to sit down and start talking to each other, to start seeing each other as human beings. Yeah. And there are elements within both sides that I, and I'm going to be accused of being biased, I would say it's more on the, on the Palestinian side, who sim have simply forgotten that the other side are human. Yeah. That they have families, they have feelings. And... Um, and you need, they need, to, you cannot have peace until both sides see that. As for what Trump's done, my, in, I would say he has in many ways upset the apple cart, but the, on, on the other hand, the UN has passed, resolu has passed resolution after resolution against Israel. It's passed, res the UNHCR has passed a resolution saying, recently saying there are no historical links between the Jews and Jerusalem, which basically is suggesting that we shouldn't have, a, as Jews should not have a right to it, mm. to the city. So in, in, in Trump saying, I recognize Israel's right to Jerusalem as a capital city, he is, it could be argued in many ways, trying to redress the balance, that the, uh, the balance and to create a balance where the UN created an imbalance. I do believe the UN is, uh, is biased against Israel and is, does not help the situation by passing resolution after resolution against only one side and not acknowledging the flaws of the other side. Okay, Valda, lovely. Those, those well, well put. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, it, it needs a sort of sensible balance. Um, a lot of people still objecting to my um, conversation with Ian earlier on. Claire says, you're not biased, you're just profoundly ignorant. East Jerusalem should be the capital of Palestine. That's what I was suggested. Which is a sovereign country, not areas. Israel must 
end the occupation and return to the 1967 borders. Uh, lots but more. No, but uh, no Jew would agree to it. I know, I know, Valda, we're not going to... But they wouldn't agree to it because, because of recent history. Okay, fair enough. I've got to go. I've got to, Valda, I've got to go. Happy Christmas. Thanks for, <coughs> thanks for all your calls. Uh, I'll be back next week. Steve should be with you tomorrow. Coming up at 10, Nigel Farage. That should be a lively one. First up uh, here on LBC, another lively one, Andrew Castle. Well, you're